Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with your host, me, Junior Renee Bobrun. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you. If you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation between you and I. I appreciate each and every listener that decides to tune in and definitely the ones who decide to tune in again and again and again to this ongoing conversation. Our audience is growing and growing. I'm looking at a lot of the things on the back end of my uh, of this show, of our show, and I'm saying to myself, wow, okay. I notice when I don't do an episode, how things dip. And when I do do an episode, how this audience comes right back. So I feel now it's really in incumbent upon me to remain consistent because there, there are people out there that want to hear this content. They want to hear my stream of consciousness they, that, that uh, they are um, um, interested and intrigued by maybe my take or maybe it just resonates with you maybe you j we just have this thing in common and you're hearing someone else echo what you're feeling and you're saying ah there's someone else out there that that, that gets what i get or that sees the way i see it that's fine however whatever brings you guys in and keeps you guys coming back i appreciate it 150 percent with that being said, I'd like to do some quick house cleaning. Once again, I would like to acknowledge onelavi.com. That's O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com, which is my one-stop shop for my vitamins and supplements and my sports nutrition. I'm telling you guys today that I am embarking on a healthier lifestyle. It's been a rough couple of years. We'll get into that at some other conversation. I think it's been a rough couple of years for everybody to a certain degree. Degrees of roughness. And roughness is relative, right? Whatever. In any case, I haven't, I haven't made the best choices food-wise. And I know a lot about food. I don't know everything about food and nutrition, but I know a, I know a great deal about it. And um, I haven't been living up to my knowledge. That's when true tragedy strikes is what I mean. It's, it's a crime to yourself to know better and not do better. It's okay if you don't know. If, it's okay if you're ignorant to something and you're just not in the know. There's a knowledge void. That's fine. And as soon as you get the access to the information, then you act on it. That's one thing. But to know and not grow, to know and not use that information and implement that information and act on that information and do the opposite? No, no, no. That's a no-no. So within the last, I'm going to say, more than a month, more than two months, I've been just talking myself into things, but also breaking promises to myself, making myself promises. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do that better. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do that better. And then I break that promise to myself. You cannot do that. So that's where One La Vie helps me. One Lavi gives me products that I really, really use and I really, really trust. And because of that, I take it in the morning, I take it in the afternoons, I take it in the evenings as suggested. 
And guess what? A lot of other things fall into place. I know I have to take this vitamin and it says get lots of sun if you take this vitamin. So I do that. Oh, this vitamin says it really works better if you're active. You know, you know, your activity sort of metabolizes it or activates it. Oh, guess what? Got have to be more active to activate said vitamin. Here comes my activity. So, you know, I'm taking um, right now I'm taking Nutramelts. Nutramelts carbon, carbonyl, iron, 18 milligrams, formation and boost immunity. That's what I'm taking. I'm taking a bunch of other things. But all I'm saying is go to onelavi.com. It's a great resource for your health needs. The products are sourced and strictly sourced. They're, most of them are organic, and they go through rigorous, rigorous standards testing f- before it gets to this website, before it gets on to any shelf. So that's why these products are, um, the products that are on the site are so diverse. It's not just one brand. So go to onelavi.com. They source a bunch of different products. It's almost like a designer or a store that buys uh designer clothes from a bunch of different designers and they pick the best quality pieces that's what this site does if it's a vitamin for vitamin d they pick the best vitamin d that meets their standards on the market etc etc it's the things that they do so go to onelavi.com for your home beauty vitamin and supplement needs that's that two we got to check out chaveshouse.com this is the home of the lenore batista journals collection I suggest that you buy it for the woman in your life. She has a whole host of journals. She has the gratitude journal, the abundance is mine journal, the love letters to myself journal. And it's also the home of the number one release on Amazon, the essential self-publishing success blueprint, a step-by-step guide to getting it done right, to go from nothing on paper to published in 90 days. Who else can tell you this or who else better to give you this kind of advice than someone who, when they uh, published a self-publishing success blueprint, it just happened to go to number one. Hello, I'm using it right now as we speak. I've said it before. I'm working on my first book and I'm using this essential self-publishing success blueprint by Lenore Batista as my step-by-step guide to getting it done right. Okay. Now that we've got that out the way, I'm hoping to get more sponsors soon. I've told you guys before, um, I'm looking to commodify this. Why not turn your passions into profit? Why not turn the things that come naturally to you into money? If I were to be compensated for this substantially, uh, this show, you know, I'd be doing it every day, every single day. Actually, I'd be doing two shows a day or I'd be doing five-hour segments like whatever Howard Stern or whatever used to do back in New York City yeah so um it'd be great you know this is I want this to at least be at the very least I want it to be one of my streams of income if all of a sudden it blows up or someone decides to pick up the show or buy the show etc etc or some entity and we work together and we partner up and all of a sudden now I'm getting substantial you know, compensation to actually do my show, then I would put some other things to the side and this would be uh, the focus, the focal point. We'll see. But in any case, I'm going to have cash apps and things like that available. Um, First and foremost, if you have any suggestions, questions and concerns, check me out at whose world is this to one at gmail.com. 
Check out our Instagram, Whose World Is This 2021. And the link will be in the bio. I'm going to have Cash App opportunities available if you guys feel like donating to the show. If there's a particular show that resonated with you to the point where you're like, you know what? Thank you, June. I really appreciate your perspective on that. It was timely. It was necessary, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to have a Cash App. Click the donation. Bong, throw a little something in there. And, you know, you know, it's all good. Thank you. It's going to a good cause, you know. In any case, what are we going to talk about today? If you're a uh, returning listener, you know that we like to name our episodes. A lot of people ask me, where do I get the names for my episodes? Do they just come to me in the middle of the night or, or whatever? That should, it's almost like I'm hiding where I'm getting the episode titles in plain sight. A lot of people haven't uh, got it yet, but that's all right. But um, the title comes from one place. And the idea for the show comes from another. That's all I'm going to say. But today, the title of the show, this is season three, episode one. The title of this show is New York State of Mine. Not New York State of Mind, New York State of Mine. The previous season, I think it was season one, I titled, I had a show called New York State of Mind, and I, I went into a lot of things about New York, which is my hometown. This is New York State of Mind again. So it's almost like New York State of Mind again. Okay. Um, why am I talking about New York once again? It's because New York is going through a lot. My hometown means a lot to me. I spent um, the majority of my life there. I was born and raised in Jamaica, Queens, New York to two immigrant parents. I am a first generation Haitian American. Both of my parents migrated from different parts of Haiti to New York City in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and uh, made a home for themselves. They bought a home in 1974, I think, or 1975. And when I was finally born, it was the only home that I knew. Okay, it's the only home that I knew for a long time until I left New York and I went to Florida and went all over the world and whatever, or not all over the world, but you know, I did some traveling, haven't been everywhere, but I've been to a couple of places. And um, but New York informed me Jamaica, Queens, New York, and Queens, New York, Harlem, the Hamptons, Brooklyn, Long Island, the Bronx, you know, uh, parts of New York State, it informed me and um. We've said it before, and we've had this conversation before, that if uh, if you show me the child, if you give me the child from its first birthday to its seventh birthday, I will show you the man. Well, I, I spent more than seven birthdays in New York, and um, how I see the world oftentimes is through the lens of a New Yorker and what I was exposed to and what I allowed myself uh, to explore on my own. Just by being in New York, by default, you're going to be exposed to certain things. But then I explored and I opened myself to different opportunities and I, I um, opened up my mind to different cultures and attitudes and things without judgment, without uh, uh, preconceived notion, but just out of a pure sense of curiosity, a childlike curiosity that I maintain till today. And I see New York today. Uh, and I don't want to say today, I went back to New York in 2010 after l not having lived there for several years, 
went back to New York. I transferred. I went to St. John's University, received an academic or several academic scholarships to attend St. John's University. And I went back to New York City and not only back to New York City, but back to Queens, New York. St. John's University is only 10 minute is only a 10 minute drive from my actual house, if that much from actually the house I was born, well, raised in. And um, at that time, New York lost a little bit of its magic for me. Uh, it wasn't the same. You know, the cost of the, what, what made me leave New York in the first place was the thrill was gone. Uh, the cost of living took the fun out of New York. The stop and frisk life that I was living being stopped by cops, whether it was Giuliani's Gestapo regime or Bloomberg's regime, it took the fun out of being a New Yorker. I didn't get the fun anymore, especially when I started visiting other places on vacation. I'm saying, do I have to be so constricted all the time? Do do, do I have to feel so surveilled all the time? And there was a freer feeling I was feeling when I left New York. So for me, that New York state of mind and having the New York driver's license and license plate, there are a lot of people that are living in a gilded cage in New York. They like the idea of being a New Yorker but not living like a New Yorker. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying right now? There's this idea if you leave New York, you're beat, you're beated, you, you've been beat down and defeated. There's nothing like the city. There's nothing like the city. Well, most people live on the outskirts of the city, as they call it. Manhattan is where you really want to be. When people think about New York, they don't think about Queens. They don't think about Long Island. They think about Manhattan, sex in the city, you know, all of that. Right. Skyscrapers, restaurants, Broadway shows, Lincoln Center. Hmm? And most people aren't living that life in New York. The majority, well past 80 plus percent, don't know anything about Broadway, Empire State Building, all of that. They don't know. They don't know. They go to work and they go home. They try to get the bills paid and they have one and a half. They have a job and a hustle to try to keep a roof over their heads. So now New York, that was 2010. I was like, eh. Got my degree. A couple of years later, I was back out of New York. Well, you know, I was living in Rome. I was here in there, and I was like, yeah. And people kept asking me, when are you coming back to New York? I said, I already, was already back to New York. I went back to New York for school. I, I, truthfully, I wanted a degree from, from the Northeast. That was just my own particular uh, uh, preference. I wanted to get a degree back in the Northeast, and I got it. I went up there, got it, and left. And I went for greener pl- pastures or bluer pastures out in Waikiki Beach. Hey, all right. But I got to tell you, New York was has been its population has been decreasing. For many, many years now, even before last year's or this year's, you know, lockdown, um, I think it's the one of the top uh, I think it's top three as far as people leaving a state. People are leaving in droves. They're going to New Jersey. Pennsylvania, going to Florida, you know, which is a New Yorker's second home away from home. But Jersey is really New York's home away from home. But people sometimes live in New Jersey and and still work in New York. But I'm talking about people who've left the tri-state area. There's so many people who've left. And that's amazing to me. And I'm going to explain to you why. I've visited several big cities in the United States. I've been to Houston. I've been to Dallas. 
I've been to Atlanta, okay? Of course, the places in New Jersey. I've been to Boston. Uh, been to, of course, Miami's and Fort Lauderdale's and places in Palm Beach County and Charleston, South, South Carolina, and the Raleigh's and all of these places. Chicago. And I can't find a place that can replicate New York City's energy, even though the energy was dis had dissipated for me in comparison to what I remember it being. But I can't think of a place more electric, more energy, with more historical equity underneath it. I mean, I go to restaurants in certain parts of New York and the place is old. It's, there's, there are pictures on the wall of patrons that go back to black and white photos before there were color photos. You can't beat that kind of credibility when it says been here since the 20s. You can't beat that. This city has been a big city for centuries. It's not new. Even if it reinvents itself, it's not a new city. It's an old city that continuously finds a way to remain current. That's the beauty of New York. Other cities may have big skyscrapers and fancy restaurants, but at dusk, the city dies. It's gone. Not a peep in the streets. I've lived in cities like that. I'm not going to mention them by name. Daytime, lunchtime crowd. Oh, this is nice. So look at everybody outside. Wow, look at this. Oh, people dress nice. Oh, buildings are nice and shiny. The streets are clean. Everything is nice, aesthetically pleasing. Wow, I can't wait to come back out here at night. And you get back out there at night and it's a ghost town. The beauty of New York City is how it reinvents itself at night. It becomes a totally different creature from what it was during the day. And guess what? It does that nightly. The Monday night crowd is different than the Tuesday night crowd. The Tuesday night crowd is different than the Wednesday night crowd. Then the Thursday night crowd is different. And then the Friday, Saturday, Sun, Friday, Saturday crowd, that's the people who, it's a different crowd because the people who partied and hung out and went to lounges and Broadway shows and musicals and poetry slams and, and listening to bands and going to underground clubs those people don't come out on Friday and Saturday night that's date night for them and their significant others or going to visit family in the outer boroughs they leave the city to the people who don't know about what's going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night you're not in the know if you're in Manhattan on a Friday and Saturday night partying and reveling you're not in the know we used to laugh by the time I figured out what the know was the cool kids hang out on Tuesday, Wednesday night in New York City. That's where the cool crowd is. If you're going out there to check out a game or a Knicks game or maybe a Broadway show, that's different. But to go to those places that have a pulse, it's during the week. During the week, how many places on earth can say that, or in this country can say that? During the week. And it reinvents itself nightly. Every 24 hours, is a different energy on those streets. And a place like that, people are leaving in droves. A place like that, that can reinvent itself on a nightly basis. And people are leaving in droves. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. That's, that is a dilemma amongst dilemmas. A dilemma of all dilemmas. How is that possible? Cost of living. Job growth slowing down. 
to get an apartment in New York at a, at a decent price under $2,000 is, is, is ridiculously difficult. You know, you, you're paying 1500 to live in someone's basement and to hear all the goings-on going on with them, and you're probably living in a neighborhood where you may need a bulletproof vest or a firearm. And guess what? New York has some of the strictest gun laws in the country, so guess what? You can't even arm yourself and protect your family pretty much. So, yeah. New York City isn't as uh, that big apple isn't so sweet. And now let's add uh, the, 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 the decisions. Listen, I'm going to say something today. I'm going to separate viruses and pandemics from governmental responses to said stimuli. I personally... I'm not in a position of command. I don't have the burden of command or the burden of leadership. I don't have the weight of the crown on my head like the governor of New York State and the mayor of New York City. However, and, and, the, and the varying interests and things that are going on behind the scenes and the pressures, and I don't know the agendas that are in the background of certain decisions that were made. I don't, I can't see, I, right now I cannot see the forest. I can only see the trees. And from my angle, from where I sit, shutting down a city was the absolute worst thing you can do to a people. Lower income people lost everything in New York. Middle-income people lost almost everything in New York. And higher-income people left New York. <laughs> and the people who can afford, because of their job and their skill level or their educational level, who decided they can work remotely, they left. They packed everything up. They left those high-rented apartments because no one really owns in New York. My family owned what they owned in the outer boroughs. New York is a big rental town. So those people gave up those exorbitant rents. If you're working from home, what do you need a big, what do you need an expensive apartment for? You can go any place on the planet, any place in the country at least, at the, at the, at the, at the very least, as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection. You can work anywhere you want. So why do I have to be here if there's no Broadway? All the things that make this city the city and differentiates it from other cities that have to that die at dusk, that die after dinner time. And this city comes alive. I've left my house in New York at 1 a.m. I've left my home in Queens and I was I was a 20 minute drive to Manhattan from my house. I could be in I can be in Manhattan in less than a half hour. I would leave my house at 1 a.m. knowing I was going to find a live city. Park. I would I would just drive around until I said, "Hey, there's a long line in front of this bar, this club or whatever." I'd pull over and be like, "Hey, what's going on here?" They'd be like, "Oh, such and such is performing." "Oh, yeah, how much to get in?" "Oh, such and such." Park my car and have a great time. Left my house at 1, 2 in the morning. That's New York City. People are leaving that. And of course they're leaving it. Because wait a minute, I'm working from home. You shut down my city. So I'm working from home. It's not like I have more time to go to shows. I have more time to go visit museums. Because the museums are closed. 
I have more time to go, go, go to Broadway shows at night. I'm not going to be so tired from work. I can go. No, off the Broadway shows are closed. The off Broadway shows are closed. The off off Broadway shows are shut down as well. The basketball games are gone. The shows at Madison, Madison Square Garden, gone. They were playing basketball in a bubble in Orlando last year. What? So everything that makes New York uniquely New York was gone. And people said they did it for the safety and the sanctity of the people. Okay, me personally, my family are in the nursing field. I know more than anyone how overworked nurses are, how understaffed hospitals are. So when I heard hospitals saying how overwhelmed they were how with the virus, I was like, you were overwhelmed before the virus. You were overwhelmed in 2019. You were overwhelmed in 2018 because hospital administrators had decided in their, in their infinite wisdom a decade and some change ago that give a, wor- a nurse more work. Give a nurse the work of two nurses, of three nurses. Give a nurse's aide or a certified nurse assistant the work of two CNAs or three CNAs. That was the better business model. So you didn't staff correctly under normal conditions. So if something abnormal happens, if you have an event, a medical event, a situation, you are definitely going to be understaffed and under and unprepared or at least underprepared. So when I was hearing about all of this, I said to myself, hey, listen, why you guys aren't just putting just 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 channeling your resources, marshalling your resources. And get people on the front lines of this thing that you know nothing about and just get get warm bodies, nurses. I don't care if you just graduated nursing school. Get your butt in here. We need you administer IVs, do this, the basics, because that's what you were doing. Because there was no quote-unquote treatment for this thing, right? So if there's no treatment, then the basics, you can handle it. Like a paramedic can handle the basics, right? So what happened? What happened is I feel this is a crisis in leadership. All through New York State that thought it was a good idea to shut down a city with one of the highest costs of living in the nation. And you didn't find a way to make these people whole in the meantime. You guys are quibbering and bickering over $1,200 stimulus money to give to people that are on the ground, starving in one of the most expensive places to live on the planet. And I say to myself, what a wonderful world. I go, okay, so when I see these reports about all these hedge fund managers and Goldman Sachs has moved to Palm Beach and West Palm and this one and that one has moved, and I have friends of mine saying, oh, my gosh, June, I'm finally going to leave New York. I can't believe what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Your city, your city let you down. Your city's the, the smartest plan that your city could come up with is tell everyone to stay their butts at home, make no money, have no way of bringing in money, have no way to pay their rent, have no way to pay their their bills, have no way to get food in the refrigerator and feed their families. That was the smart plan. That was the plan. Everyone, there are many, many people, many of my friends, family, colleagues, acquaintances, associates, business partners who don't agree with me. That's fine. That's fine. Quite all right. 
I'm not speaking from hindsight. I'm speaking from I w- in the middle of everything that was going on last year around this time, March, April, May, June. I said, you cannot shut down New York City. New York City is fragile. It may seem like the tough, obnoxious city that never sleeps. Even the rats know how to fight the bats and the rats. And I get all that. But, I, but, but I'm not going to say I remember because I wasn't even born yet. But in the 1970s, New York was almost bankrupt. Wall Street brought it back with its funny numbers and this, that. But not just Wall Street. I'm going to say what brought it back. Immigration. Funny thing with immigration. Immigration, the revitalization of poor people coming in from all over the world, coming in, looking for opportunities, opening up mom and pop stores, creating communities in droves. So if it was an African, all of a sudden they're opening up an African store. What are they doing? Hiring Africans. All of a sudden these Africans are buying homes, Caribbean people, Haitians, Jamaicans, Dominicans coming here from everywhere, Puerto Ricans. Everyone was coming from everywhere. You know, the, the, the European migration had dissipated some. So you had the Asian migration come in. So you had Chinatown encroaching on Little Italy, and now you have a big flourishing China. All of these things were happening due to people coming in because we had a, we had a population that was uh, 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 dissipating and declining at that time as well. City was losing a ton of money. Its tax revenue base was leaving. A lot of crime. I think in 1975, there was more murders in New York in 1975 than in 2015. A lot of killings. The trains, everything was a mess. New York didn't have the money to clean up anything. And guess what? I'm going to tell you something. When I was back in New York in 2010, 2011, I remember saying to myself, man, this train isn't running on time. This bus that used to run on time when I was a kid, now all of a sudden it's eight, nine, ten minutes late. And I'm saying to myself, hmm, remember, I'm a student of history, guys. You can never know where you are unless you see how you got there. And I'm remembering, huh, I remember reading books and about how New York, before it went through its bankruptcy, things weren't running on time. That was the kind of the canary in the coal mine, that something was on the horizon, something negative. And I noticed that. I noticed how under Michael Billionaire Bloomberg's watch, I couldn't get things running on time. I was in New York during the winter times, and I remember how how consistent our snow plows were and getting our streets cleaned in certain parts of Queens because I was still living out. I went back to New York, and I was kind of staying in the area I used to live in, okay, while I was going to St. John. So I was sort of in that same neighborhood within a five, I would say within a, a one to two-mile radius of my actual home where I was raised in. So I know the patterns of when the snow comes down, I know when the plows come in the middle of the night, I know depending on the inches that are predicted or whatever that the weatherman forecasted, I know, cause I grew up with it. And all of a sudden, I didn't see that. Michael Billionaire Bloomberg, I'm like, what happened? Snow was there longer, garbage was left longer, buses weren't on time. Trains were running late. Buses were running late. Huh. And then certain services were cut. Certain buses that used to run till 11 were only running till 10. Certain buses that used to run till midnight would only run till 11 p.m. And I said, oh, things are cutting back. We're getting lean. A majority of this population depends on public transportation. And you're cutting public transportation. Oh, yeah. 
Nobody said anything. I was looking, I was reading newspaper reports and I was, I didn't see anyone saying it, but I was watching it happen in 2010, 2011. I was experiencing it, leaving the library at 11 o'clock at night, thinking that I can get the last bus and the last bus, new bus schedule, 10 p.m. Oh, okay. So now what do you have? People are leaving in droves. Is the thrill gone? And if the thrill is gone, is New York going to use immigration to get the thrill back to try to boost revitalization? Can that do it? Because these businesses that have left can't open back up again. One third of the small businesses that were shut down will not reopen in 2021 and 2022. They're finished. It was a one stop. It was a one stop shop. It was a one shop. It was a one trick pony. It was a sole proprietorship businesses that have been in families for generations. It's over. So the government shut down a whole city and didn't have a way to make those people whole in the meantime, but said, you got to stay home. If you don't stay home, we're going to bring the cops out and beat the brakes off of you. If you think I'm speaking hyperbolically, please. I know a lot of friends of mine, black men, fathers who are trying to get to work, get to their hustles and they were getting pulled over or they were walking to the store and the cops decided, huh? Yeah. Same old story. What are you doing outside? Oh, what am I doing outside? I got to feed my families what I'm doing outside. This whole stay at home thing is not great for my bank account and my bills. It's not as if de Blasio and Governor Cuomo decided to give everyone $3,000 per month and told all the bill collectors to be easy for the unforeseeable future and relax. It's not what happened. So a lot of those moratoriums were on maybe three months, six months. But after that, it was like, wait a minute. Yeah, landlords are saying, yeah, well, if I can't get my rent, then I don't know if this person can have water and a place to stay at the same time. I don't know if I can supply water and heat without having the rent. These are the things that are happening in New York that you're not hearing about. I hear about them. People are like, hey, landlord shut off the heat. I'm like, wait, you have a baby in the house. It's cold. Yeah, nothing we can do. We call the this authority, the that authority. Their backlog is this, and they don't have enough people working for them due to COVID because people are home. Whew. And then you have these tall skyscrapers that used to have cubicles lining up for 20, 30, 40 floors. I mean, building so high, building so tall, they block the sun. I remember working in Manhattan, and it's the middle of the day, and you don't see the sun, even though you know it's daytime. Do you know what that used to feel like sometimes? I used to leave my house around 6 in the morning before the, before the sun even actually comes up, get on a train 6, 6.30, get to the city at around 8 a.m., through public transport and then i know it's daytime but i don't see the sun i go to lunch at noon one o'clock it's daytime but i don't get to see the sun because the buildings are so tall i eat my lunch i go back into a building i'm probably in an area which doesn't have windows because windows are a premium for senior management and executives i'm in some cubicle somewhere or whatever whatever job i have i could have been in custodial or i was in sales or whatever i don't get a window because you know the window such a premium. In any case, by the time I get home in the wintertime, it's dark. I get back on the train, and it's and then an hour later, it's nighttime, and the sun is just setting. And so I can go a full five days without seeing the sun. 
That's what it meant to commute and live in New York City. That's what it meant oftentimes in the wintertime. That's why people have what they call SAD, seasonal adjustment disorder or something like that. Because in the wintertime, you don't really get to see the sun. So you get sad seasonal adjustment disorder. You get sad. People actually have that. I'm telling you from experience, this New York state of mind, this place I lived, and I watched the government have the worst response to a situation. I can see going down a path, but staying down a path, and, and that path only leads one way. It leads to where we are now, where you're going to have buildings that are empty, because many, many people have decided I'm not going back to that life again. I'm not going back into the office. I've been working remotely and I'm enjoying it because I don't have a boss breathing down my neck. I don't have to pay for commuting costs. I don't have to pay for exorbitant lunches in Manhattan. And I've been just as productive, if not more productive from the confines of my own home or the comforts and comfort and confine of my own home. And some people have left New York. They've been in New Jersey working. They've gone back to their families' homes who've lived outside of New York, and they've been working. They've snuck out the city. And now you have jobs saying, okay, you don't have to work five days. They're negotiating with, with employees with their talent now. The talent right now has leverage for the first time in a long time. The employee right now has some leverage. Because there are so many people, we spoke about the great resignation that's been going on in the United States right now, where people are actually saying, yeah, you know, that, that whole work thing, I'm kind of figuring it out. They save their PPP checks and all of those checks that they were getting, those disaster relief checks, and said, yeah, I'm going to give up the apartment. Yeah, paid off the car. We're just kind of going to, we're kind of hang out and do the freelance thing for a while and see this country. Yeah, we're not going to go on a plane. We're not going to stay in a hotel. We'll just stay in our car for a while and see what happens. You know, put some stuff up on Teespring and Etsy and things of that nature. Start some websites, write a book, do some freelance work and Fiverr and stuff like that. See what happens. This is what's going on. So what's going to sustain these tall buildings with these cubicles and these offices when people are saying, I'm not working five days a week there. You can give me, I'll work there three, four days. I'm not coming in on Friday. You can come in on Monday. You can work me to death on Monday, but I ain't coming in on Friday. You can get half a day on. Th this is what's going on. Friends of mine right now are, are telling me that for the first time in a long time, that management and ownership in New York City of the big businesses have to actually capitulate to the to the to the demands of labor, to the demands of the employee. This is what's going on. The ones who decided to actually stay in New York. So I don't know what New York is going to look like in the future. This New York state of mind. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I don't know what the future holds for New York. I know Broadway's opening up in September. I know we're going to have some stringent COVID protocols, you know, and things like that. And there are many, many people out there. I don't I don't know where you stand on, like I said, to, to jab or not to jab. That is the question. No, it's not the question. I don't care. Whatever you did is fine. It's a highly it's a hot button issue. It's a gaslighting issue. Great. I will say this. There are a load of people who refuse to be tested and refuse to be vaccinated. Granted, you have 100 million 
that have decided to get tested and vaccinated and such and such, but there are many who have not. That is going to affect the bottom line of many businesses. Trust me. Trust me. Because not everybody has money. Not everybody is whole. There are a lot of people who are still financially broken and emotionally broken from the events that have occurred within the last 18 or so months. So if you think that you can afford to turn away people with these new protocols and things of that nature, be very, very careful because this, I feel, has been handled clumsily. Like I said, from what I see, there are many people out there that may have some different opinions that may listen to what I'm saying and go, well, June, you don't know the agenda and, you know, this was that. And some people can take a, a great many different points of view. I'm saying I don't see the forest from what I'm seeing from the trees just from my little tiny perch, not even a perch, from where I'm sitting, kneeling, I, would have, I wouldn't have done this. I don't know what the bigger picture is politically. I don't know what the WHO and the IMF and the CIA and the FBI and Dr. Fauci and this one has for us in store. I don't know what's next. All I'm saying is from where I'm sitting, this is not how you make a city whole. There should have been hybridized different situations, not shut down blanket quarantine. And then when a, when a store owner or a bar owner or a restaurant owner decides to open up his place, her place a little bit more, you arrest a business owner. This country is built on capital. It's built on ownership. It's built on businesses opening up in tax revenue. Businesses open, they employ people that open up and buy things and buy apartments that need things and buy cars and food and you took that away so how long is it going to take for this new york state of mind to recover and then you have more people in the streets now you have more murders homicide is up aggravated assault is up burglaries are up suicide is up everything is up crime is up then you have crime up then you have extra scrutiny on the police and how they react to crime, the crimes are up. You want to have more strict, you want to have stricter gun laws where you, can, you want to sue the manufacturers of guns for the crime that occurs. I've told you before, there seems to be a war on drugs and there's a war on guns, but there's never a war on poverty. And I'm telling you right now, war on poverty dissipates the uh, 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 side effects of poverty. You're not going to have as much drug abuse or gun violence if you get rid of poverty okay that's how you know no one cares about the poor and no one gives a damn about getting rid of poverty we want it this way it's common sense i think george orwell uh, one of my favorite authors who wrote 1984 a lot of people know the book 1984 or here they they use terms like big brother is watching and things like that but they don't really know um, 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 the book per se, but, um, he said something one time that was awesome. And he said that the heresy of heresies was common sense. And that was, and that's from the book in 1984, the heresy of heresies is common sense. And that to me was an awesome statement because it seems to be, to speak in logical, pragmatic and, and, in, in commonsensical terms becomes heretical speech oftentimes when the masses are, are scared and the masses are confused and when something cuts through the detritus and the noise oftentimes it's considered heresy 
So hence the reason why there are certain things I do not say on this show. <laughs> I save them or I frame it in a certain way. I change it around because in the midst of fear and confusion, the truth does not often cut through. It's oftentimes the truth is since the truth is the enemy of fear and confusion, some that are fearful and confused may consider the truth teller the enemy. Hence the reason why we have always assassinated, incarcerated, marginalized, ostracized our truth tellers. And then we elevate them after we've destroyed them and give them a holiday or an autobiography or a street named after them. That's what we do to our truth tellers who cut through the fear and confusion. That's what we've done historically. It's not just America that does it historically throughout time. Okay. Time immemorium. That's what we do. Okay. So because of that, I take my time with the truth. I, 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 I give it in bite sizes, you know, a little bit at a time, nothing too much. You know, I don't want to give someone a, a whole elephant to eat at one time. A little bit too much bite sizes. So I just wonder about my New York. I, I wonder what it's going to do. Is it going to use a, a, an immigration revitalization protocol that helped it out the 1970s? What are we going to do with these skyscrapers? What are we going to do? People want to work from home. People don't want the same old model of, of having that New York. I, I worked for New York City bosses. Let me explain something to you. If anyone out there remembers the movie Wall Street, Michael Douglas's character, Gordon Gecko, I worked for a man like that. No, I worked for many men like that. You ever watch the, the movie Boiler Room? Vin Diesel and Ben Affleck were in it. I worked in places like that. Um, you remember Jordan Balfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio's character? Let me tell you something. It may seem outrageous to you what you're watching. I've worked for people like that. I've worked in environments like that in New York City. So imagine what this quarantine of last year did for people that were working under those conditions 50 hours a week. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week under those conditions with having Gordon Gecko as your boss or Jordan Balfour as your boss. Hmm? Imagine that. So just that manic money-getting inhumanity constantly grinding at you and the competition constantly. And all of a sudden now you're able to be productive and competitive from the comforts and the confines of your own home without having Gordon Gecko on your back, without having someone look at you or having a camera over your desk to see how productive you are and how many calls you're making per, per second. Let me tell you something. We're not going back. So I'd like to know what this New York state of mind is going to look like. I want to know what you guys think, please. Like I said before, feel free to send me an email at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. I'd love to talk further about this. Alrighty, you guys have a good night.